I love my kids. Let me just start off by saying that. You know I do. Uh, they are my favorite kids. Uh, your kids are great. Don't get me wrong. My kids are better. I love them more than I love your kids. Uh, but I am so glad that school starts tomorrow. <laughs> it has been uh, a fun couple of weeks having the kids home on vacation. Uh, but you know what they say about too much of a good thing, right? It's I'm ready for them to go back to school and for people like Jeff and our teachers and our principals to take care of them. Give me a break, you know, because... I've earned it. Uh, our family had a really good Christmas together, uh, uh, and our church had a really good Christmas together, too. Uh, it, it, we had uh, a Christmas lights bus tour back in December where 800 people came through our building, and uh, we had a good time looking at Christmas lights around the city together. And through that event, we were able to raise enough money to provide Christmas groceries for 34 families. And in your, uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff. And, and, uh, and not only uh, were, did you give and the event raised monies for that, uh, but through the month of December, you bought gifts uh, for the YWAM Christmas tree. And so not, we were able to partner with YWAM and not only provide grocery gift cards to 34 families, but make sure they had presents to go under the tree for the 34 families. That was because... Of you, we had uh, an incredible Christmas light show from the Tupper family on the outside of the church. I don't know, did anybody get a chance to see it? It's pretty good, right? A lot of fun out there, a lot of people in our parking lot. Uh, we had a Kid City Sunday where our kids led us in worship right up here on the stage. We had like a ton of children, like literal metric ton of children uh, on this stage. I'm not sure if the stage is weighted or rated for that sort of uh, a weight, but we had them lead us in worship. We had four very special Christmas Eve services where just shy of 900 people attended this year, which was pretty exciting. And some of you here today, uh, your first time joining us in this room was on Christmas Eve. And this is your first Sunday at Fort City. And so to you, if that's you, I just want to say welcome. Uh, welcome to our church. If you have any questions, if you have any needs, if there's anything we can do for you, uh, just tap somebody on the shoulder, me or anybody with a lanyard. We'd love to talk to you and, and hear a bit of your story. And um, December around here, as you can tell, like all the things we list off that we do in December, is a very busy month uh, for our staff team here at the church. And, and one of the things that we've been able to kind of count on, me and Adrian, every year in December is for like a major problem to come, like to rise in our house, like days before Christmas Eve. It's just it, it, without a fail. And so uh, four or five years ago, we were on our way to the Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve when we had a tire blowout on our car. And so that was kind of fun. But, you know, we had Rob and Sherry. They rescued us and they, they, they got the tire back on the vehicle. And then the next year uh, on Christmas Eve, on the way out to do three services, uh, the furnace went on at our house. Uh, and stopped putting out heat. And then the next year at Christmas, uh, the two days before Christmas Eve, so not on Christmas Eve, the washer, uh, the dishwasher and the laundry dryer went a couple days before Christmas. And so this year, two days before Christmas, uh, the power steering on our van went. And so it's just like it's every year, Christmas week, busiest week of the year for pastors, uh, we can expect without fail for stuff to fail. And for our week to be a lot more 
difficult. And luckily this year, when our van had to go into the shop only a couple of days before Christmas Eve, uh, our friends Rob and Sherry saved us again, and they loaned us their truck uh, while the minivan was getting repaired. And let me tell you, that truck was a huge upgrade over my minivan. It was there's a lot of power in that thing. It was a fun, fun to drive. Uh, it was very difficult for me to give their truck back a week later when my van was finally ready. Uh, and when I finally got my van back, I was doing, I, I ended up doing something really stupid. Um, we've got, you know, everyone's got their key fobs. And when I finally got my van back after a week of not having it, every time I went to remote start the vehicle to heat it up, I'd end up opening up the lift gate instead. And I wouldn't know I had done that. And so I'd wait 10 minutes and I'd go out to a cold van with the lift key open. And the problem was, is that I had spent a week with Robin Sherry's key fob. And in the same spot where my remote start is, was there, or in the same spot where my lift gate is on my key fob was their remote start. And so after having only had their key fob for a week, uh, I had developed a habit of not looking at the key fob and instead of starting the car, opening the lift gate. And I think it's so crazy to me how quickly habits like this can develop in our life. And, and it's really, it's biology, right? Your brain is designed that for simple tasks, the more you do them, the more the neurons connect in your brain, and, and the easier it becomes for your brain just to do those tasks without even thinking, right? It's just, it's just the way God designed us so that we can do simple things without ever having to think of them. And those pathways in your brain can become so strong and so developed that you don't have to think about doing simple or moderately difficult tasks at all. Your brain just takes care of the thinking for you. It took me only a week to develop this weird key fob habit. And it makes me wonder what about habits and ways of thinking and pathways that are developed over months or years a lifetime, even generations. Some of those entrenched pathways are good for us, right? They, they are healthy pathways. They lead us towards things that are good for us. And some of the entrenched pathways that we have that we don't even recognize because they're just second nature now are not good for us. They're not healthy and they lead us away from what is good for us. Now, have you ever asked somebody, like let's at work or maybe wherever you find yourself with other people, uh, have you ever asked the question, why do we do this thing this way? Like, why are we doing it like this? And the person just looks at you and they're like, well, that's just the way we've always done it, right? It's not because it's the best way. It's not because it's the right way. It's just the way we've always done it. And when it comes to our lives, there are plenty of things that we do because it's just the way we've always done it. We don't even think about them anymore. We're not evaluating them to see if those habits, those pathways, those lifestyles are beneficial for us. We're just doing it the same old way we've always done it. What if this year for you and your family, the way it's always been done isn't gonna help you anymore? What if it's time to disrupt those entrenched pathways in your life and discover something new and better for you and for your family. I believe each of us today have traditions, have habits, have these pathways in our mind that Jesus wants to challenge because they're holding us back. The way we've always done it isn't good enough anymore. 
And this was a common theme in the ministry of Jesus. He was constantly challenging traditions and constantly challenging people who, who did things only because it was the way they had always done things. I could pick any number of stories to, to give you an example of Jesus doing this, disrupting the traditions and the way uh, of doing things. But we're going to look at a story from Mark 7 today. And simply just because that's where... Uh, not I opened up my Bible too randomly, but where I'm reading it uh, right now. So in the opening lines of Mark chapter 7, we discover that Jesus and his disciples are in trouble. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, these were a group of people who were dedicated, who were uh, uh, zealously passionate about following the law of God. Uh, the Pharisees are very upset with Jesus and in his disciples. Now, this story is in Mark 7, but in the previous six chapters, Jesus has done some crazy things. Uh, Jesus has healed a paralyzed man. He has set someone free who was being demonized. Uh, he healed a man with a, a disabled hand. He uh, fed 5,000 people from only a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Um, th these are things in the previous seven chapters of Mark, but we get to Mark 7, and the Pharisees are furious with Jesus, not for any of that stuff, but because they saw some of the disciples eat food without first washing their hands, right? Of all the things for them to be mad about. Now, you might think, and it probably is true, that to eat food with your hands without washing your hands is kind of gross. It's true. But it's nothing to be furious about if you see somebody else doing it. But the problem here runs deeper than hygiene. The problem here is that the disciples didn't do something the way that their people have been doing it for thousands of years. Luckily for us, when Mark wrote his gospel, he wasn't writing to a Jewish audience. He was writing most likely to uh, like a Gentile, like a Roman audience. And so anytime in his writing, when you read the book of Mark, where there's like a very specifically Jewish culture or tradition that uh, a Jewish, a non-Jewish person wouldn't understand, Mark takes a second to explain it. Uh, and give context to it and so that we can understand it. So in our story, he tells us that the Pharisees are upset because of this hand-washing thing, and then he takes a moment to explain why. And he actually, it's in, if you look in your Bible, it's in parentheses to indicate it's, it's not part of the story. It's an explanation of some behind-the-scenes information in the story. So Mark tells us that the Pharisees are upset because, in parentheses, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Now, ceremonial hand-washing was an ancient Jewish tradition. After God gave his people uh, the Ten Commandments, the law at the uh, Mount Sinai, they did their best. They gave their best effort to, to developing ways to communicate God's law and to teach it and to keep God's law. And uh, as the years went by, and so so one of the things one of the things they did to, to honor God and to keep God's things holy was they decided that for the priests in their work in the holy of holy in the holy of holies in the tabernacle in the in the, the temple in the desert where all the holy stuff was the priests when they did their work in there they had to perform a ceremonial hand washing uh, ceremony so that their hands were holy. If they were going to handle holy stuff, their hands needed to be holy. It was a way to help them honor God and to keep God's law. But as the years went by, there were those who, in ancient Israel, who began to teach an elevated version of this. They wanted to keep this rule uh, more zealously than everyone else. And so they taught it wasn't just the priests 
who had to wash their hands before working in the tabernacle, but that everyone had to wash their hands before eating every time, every person and every meal. And in doing this, they began to strive for a holiness that was above and beyond what the law required of them. It wasn't a hard and fast rule in the beginning, but somewhere along the line, it became an entrenched tradition. And a few thousand years went by. And if you ask, why are we doing this? The answer would be, well, that's just the way we've always done it. This is why the Pharisees are mad at the disciples. And so they ask, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat first without performing the hand-washing ceremony. And you guys, Jesus has zero chill in the way he responds to them. He claps back. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. I thought Jesus was nice. He can be a little harsh, can he? You hypocrites. Jesus is not in the mood for these people today. He lets them have it. You hypocrites, you fakes. Your worship is a farce. Their faith wasn't in God. Their faith faith was in their traditions, their way of doing things, their pathways through life. They found comfort in the old, familiar ways. And not just comfort, they actually found ways through their traditions to avoid having to do any of the hard stuff. Jesus gives them this example of their hypocrisy, and he uses something really close to home. He quotes one of the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. And if you're a parent, this has got to be your favorite verse, right? You just get to tell your kids, you have to do what I say. God said you have to. You win, right? But I don't think that this commandment is actually about obedience at all. I think it's more about treating your parents with respect and dignity, not just blind obedience. I think especially it means taking care of them. When they're older. In the ancient world, once you stopped being able to add value to the community around you through labor and through work and through generating income and generating food, you were often discarded, right? It was common practice for older people to to be discarded in communities because they couldn't add anything to the community. But God has always valued human life, regardless of what we're able to contribute to each other. And so I think a big part of this commandment about honoring your mother and father is about taking care of your parents when they're near the end of their lives. Taking care of them in the same way when they took care of you when you were younger. And so Jesus quotes this commandment, honor your father and mother. Take care of them. This is your job to honor your father and mother. And he says, but he points out, you Pharisees have discovered a workaround. You've created a workaround. It was common for a person who didn't have the resources or didn't really want to take care of their parents late in life, what they could do is they could dedicate what they owned, their resources, their money, their land. They could dedicate it to God at some future date. And so when, you know, they could just be like, Mom, Dad, sorry, I can't take care of you. I can't help you with my resources or my land or my money because I've dedicated those things to God. And I haven't given them to him yet, 
but I will at some point in the future, and so I can't help you. This was a common thing that was happening at the time. And so Jesus goes on to say, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. And this is only one example among many others. You ignore what you know you ought to do and you find comfort in doing what you want, want to do. You ignore what is good for you and others because you've become content with where you're at. You ignore my way because it seems a lot harder than your way. Then, after completely embarrassing these Pharisees in the story, the, 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 the ones who are content with, uh, you know, elder abuse, uh, but upset about hand-washing, Jesus turns to the crowd away from them and says, all of you listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. It's not the hand-washing. It's not the ceremonial uh, cupping of hands and cleaning of cups and pitchers. It's not this tradition and the way you've always done it. It's what's in your heart that matters. It's what you do that matters. And Jesus, in this moment of teaching, is skillfully dismantling an ancient tradition and a way of thinking and a pathway that had become so common and, and for people that they followed it without even thinking. I mean, the truth is, you probably wash your hands before eating, maybe once or twice a day, but you don't do it because you're trying to make your hands holy, right? You're doing it because it's hygienic. The reason why Jesus dismantled this ancient tradition about ceremonial hand washing. And here's the thing, this is where I want to go, this story, this, this idea. Jesus doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants to give you life to the full. He wants to give you growing friendships. He wants you to have a healthy soul, peace and contentment. And if you're willing to ask yourself this question and be honest, could you use more of these things in your life? So what needs to change? What tradition needs to end? What habit needs to be different? When my mom and dad got married, uh, feels like centuries ago, it must be at this point, but it was, it was 1974, uh, they got married, and my mom uh, did all of my dad's laundry, the folding, the, the ironing, everything like that. We shouldn't judge them too harshly for the antiquated gender roles in their relationship. That's just the way things went, I guess, back then. Now I do all the laundry, and Adrian just eats bonbons and watches soap operas all day, but... <laughs> So I don't know who was right. I don't. But my mom did all the laundry and the, the folding of stuff. And uh, she decided she didn't want to iron my dad's clothes anymore. And so instead of maybe doing the reasonable thing and talking to him about it, she decided just to start doing a really bad job and intentionally ironing big creases into his pants and to his shirts. And then my dad would you know, kind of try to correct her and show her how it's done, and she'd just play dumb. And like she couldn't figure out how to iron his clothes. And so you know exactly where this goes. My dad started ironing his own clothes, right? It, it, it changed. And so here's my question. What are you doing in your life right now that's just not working for you anymore? That needs to change? What needs, what steps do you need to take 
to claim the life that Jesus wants for you. Earlier, I mentioned uh, that we had almost nine people, 900 people, more than nine people. We had almost 900 people come to our Christmas Eve services. And as you look around the room right now, you might say, this doesn't really look like 900 people at church today on a Sunday. And you'd be right. We don't have 900 people here today. The, the, the reason we have such a big crowd on Christmas Eve is because there are many people in our community, in our city, who have the tradition of going to church once a year on Christmas Eve. And so we make room for them. We have four services, and we put out all the chairs and all the things for people to sit on, and we, we make space for them to come and exercise their once-a-year tradition of going to church. And we put all the effort into those services. We put out the extra chairs for them. And then we invite them to change their tradition, to give up on this tradition, and to consider giving this Jesus thing a shot, a real effort, to come back in the new year and see if there is something about being involved in a community of faith on a regular basis that would make their lives better. Christmas and Easter they're great and everything. But what would your life look like if you started to orientate your life around Jesus and his way? What if you gave up on the tradition and made Jesus and faith an everyday part of your life? We believe your life would be better for you to do that. That's why we do what we do. Speaking about you and me, Jesus once said this, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus wants this for you. He said his purpose, his purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. He wants your life to overflow with peace and joy and contentment and purpose. He wants you to have healthy relationships. He wants you to be able to put off your burdens. He wants your life to be rich and satisfying. What needs to change for you to experience the life that Jesus wants for you, it will only happen if you decide to seek his face, his face and his voice and his will for your life. Only Jesus can give you what you need. And so I'm going to list off a couple of changes I think you can make. You might consider doing away with an old way of doing things and, and, and interjecting this change into your life. Just a couple of small little things. One of the ways that you could disrupt an old tradition is by deciding, by deciding to make reading your Bible part of your everyday life or a regular occurrence in your life. Now, the Bible is one of the primary ways that Jesus has decided to reveal himself to us, right? That if you want to know who Jesus is and was and is going to be, the Bible is one of the clearest ways to discover that. And so you could commit to making regular Bible reading and study a part of your life. And, and don't just read the Bible. I think we can read it academically, and, and there's some value in that. But read it and actually look for Jesus, Look for his character. Try to figure out who he is and, and what he wants for the people that were around him and what he wants for you. Don't just read it as an ancient story, but read it as a revelation of a person. 
You could commit to Bible reading this year. Or you commit commit to making prayer a regular part of your life. Now, not just praying when you need stuff. I mean, that's a good time to pray when you need stuff from God. That's not a bad time to pray. But also praying God to God to, God, to Jesus regularly in gratitude and thankfulness. You know, when you're driving in the car and that anxiety kind of takes over in your heart a little bit, and you just say, Jesus, man, where did this come from? Give me your peace. That's it. That's a prayer. That's a regular part of the day. Or when you drop your kids off at school and the morning was terrible and they were frustrated and rude, and, and as they walk away and you get that parent thing where even though they're terrible, like you suddenly you're watching them walk away and you're like, I love them so much. You can say, Jesus, thank you for what you've given me. Making prayer a regular part of your life. Uh, uh, do away with tradition of only praying on Sundays or, or only praying when you need something and just making prayer a regular part of your conversation and life with God. And you could decide this year to make uh, attending church a priority. Yes, the Bible is one of the primary ways in which Jesus has chosen to reveal himself to us, but another one of the primary ways that God has decided to reveal himself to us in the world is the church. Now, not this building. This building's old. It's not very nice. But you are the church. And when we gather together in community, when we eat together, when we pray for one another, when we sit in the same room and stand in the same room and worship God, and when we love one another, God is revealing himself in those moments. It's in a community of faith like Fort City where you don't just attend once a week, but you invite people over for dinner, you get involved with Starting Point, or you serve with YWAM, uh, serving kids lunches, where when you get involved in your church community, God reveals himself, his nature of love and acceptance and mercy and kindness through those people around you. And so you could change the tradition of attending church once a week and discovering what it means to actively invest in a community of faith. Jesus wants to give us life and life to the full. He said rich and satisfying. If we don't have that, it isn't because Jesus is being stingy. It's because it might be because we haven't asked. We haven't engaged with him. It might be because we're stuck in a rut, doing things the same old way that we've always done them. It might be time to let Jesus challenge you. It might be time to let Jesus give you some new traditions. Discover the life that he wants for you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close in a moment of worship and communion so you guys can come back up. And, and as they do that, I'm, I'm just going to pray for us. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much and that we are part of this ancient faith that we are part of the story of the universe and the world, that we can trace our story back thousands and thousands of years. But Jesus, we, you are just not the God of history. You are also the God of the now. And we thank you that you are here in this room with us, that you love us in these moments, and that you have purpose and meaning for each one of us, and that you have said that you want us to have rich and satisfying lives. And so, Jesus, I just pray today, all across this room, and anybody who's watching us online, will commit fresh and new again to the pursuit of knowing you. To the pursuit of knowing you. And then we do those things through prayer and, and reading scripture and engaging in, in a community of faith. But that Jesus, we would commit fresh and new to discovering ways 
to, to build our faith together. Jesus, I just pray a blessing over each person here in this room watching us online that they would discover that life, that rich and satisfying life, that life to the full that you want for each one of us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.